بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم اللهم صل وسلم على سيدنا محمد وعلى ال سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي امري واحلل عقده من لساني يفقهوا قولي سبحانك لا علم لنا الا ما علمتنا سبحانك لا علم لنا الا ما علمتنا سبحانك لا علم لنا الا ما علمتنا اللهم علمنا ما ينفعنا وانفعنا بما علمتنا وزدنا علما وعملا اللهم الهمنا مراشد امورنا واعذنا من شرور انفسنا ووفقنا لما تحب وترضى من القول والعمل والنيه والهدى انك على كل شيء قدير اللهم ربنا زدنا علما وعملا امين يا رب العالمين respected listeners dear brothers and sisters dear students elders assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh we thank allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for giving us the health and the ability and the tawfiq uh, the blessing of tawfiq to sit here today uh, in our third session of Surah Al-Kahf and to gather from uh, far and wide to be present here listening on-site or online and the sacrifices that all of you have made on after a long day at work or at school is something that you and I are able to achieve it only because Allah Azza wa is enabling us to do so and we pray that this enabling does not stop today but that it continues to be for all of us every single time any of you and myself I always think about the fact that we achieve something and we are able to achieve something we feel happy about it and just just in case you think that you've been able to achieve that be it simply preparing for today's class or attending and taking notes and listening anytime we accidentally think that we've done it because of our own strength and will and dedication the very next week or the very next day or the very next hour we see what happens when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala pulls the plug and a person, although he plans so much, but he's not able to achieve it. How many people were here last week, are not here this week? How many people, people intended fully to be here this week, but are not able to make it? What stopped them? At the end of the day, it's a tawfiq from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala stops me or you. If it's present, we're able to achieve it. If not, we can't do it. So that's why we have really no one to praise besides Allah. And we have no one to thank besides Him. And we have no one to seek assistance from besides Him. And every single day we should have our head bowed down in, in sincerity and in, 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 in humbleness and humility that Ya Allah, please don't give up on me. Don't let me go. And what we call khudlan. Don't forsake me. Because if you forsake me, there will be no one who will be able to get me back on my feet. So if with that in mind, if we uh, renew our niyyah and appreciation to Allah Azza wa Jal, then Allah Azza wa Jal will... Inshallah, continue to open up the doors of istiqamah for us. Because that's the greatest thing that any one of us can be gifted with. And I, I've said this many times, and I, al istiqamah to fawqa al fi karama. That steadfastness is better than a thousand miracles. So if you want to see a living miracle today, then, then, then that is be steadfast on any one action. Whether it's Salat al Fajr in the masjid, whether it is a dars in the masjid, or whether it is some dhikr that you're doing on a regular basis. Make sure that you stick to it. No matter what the situation may be, no matter how challenging of a day you may have had, no matter what time you slept the night before, make sure you don't give up on that. That is, that is the karama, right? That's a miracle that we all need to um, manifest within ourselves. And let us renew our niyyah. Why are we here? We're here to please Allah. We're here to learn and to get, how to get closer to Allah. We're here to build our relationship with the Qur'an. We're here to rejuvenate our faith. We're here to rebuild our connection with Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And we are here to not only listen, but to practice and to propagate whatever we hear. And we also turn to Allah and we say, Ya Allah, this Qur'an is an open book of guidance for all of us. And indeed, the, the solution to my problems of today, 
not of yesterday, of today. Whatever new problems I walked into the masjid with, the solutions to these problems lies in this book. Allow me to be able to find it. And so with that niyyah, let's all inshallah begin today's lesson. Uh, ayat number 7 and 8, I translated it, I covered it up, I covered it up briefly at the end, but I said I'm going to just revisit it quickly again uh, this coming week before we start uh, the story of the people of the cave. Allah Azza wa Jal says, إِنَّا جَعَلْنَا مَعَ الْأَرْضِ زِينَةً لَهَا لِنَبْلُوَهُمْ أَيُّهُمْ أَحْسَنُ عَمَلًا Ayah number 7, uh, Indeed, we have certainly made... Um, Indeed, we have, made, we have made all that is on the earth as an adornment for it, for it, only to test them as to which of them is best indeed. So what's the connection of the previous verse to this verse? The previous verse was, perhaps, O oh Muhammad Wasallam, you may consume yourself, you may destroy yourself, sorrowing upon their traces. You are so sad that they don't believe that you may end up... Remember what Bukha' meant? That nerve in the back of the neck, we said, when you're slaughtering an animal... Right or or someone else, it, that's the last thing that's left there. It's a bukha is a complete like almost decapitation, right? Completely cut off. That's bukha. So when we are when we are uh, the, the Quran is telling us that if you are uh, so worried about the ummah, then you may end up causing you to die. Don't do that. The next verse is, إِنَّا جَعَلْنَا مَا الْأَرْضِ We made whatever is on the earth as a adornment for it to test them. And then indeed, O Muhammad لَجَعِلُونَ مَا عَلَيْهَا We shall certainly make all that is on this earth a barren plain of dust. What's the connection? So the ulama say the connection here is that these disbelievers who don't believe in you and you are out of sorrow almost taking your life, it's not worth it. Because... At the end, everything Whatever is on top of this earth Will be going into the earth Will be dust Whatever is on top of the turab Turab is dust Whatever is turab is also turab right? whatever, is folk, uh, whatever is on the earth Is also part of the earth There is nothing more powerful that On this entire world Than a human being Think about it Right? An atomic bomb. Where does, it, where does it come from? Atomic bomb doesn't give birth to an atomic bomb. Right? We just recently, the Ummah lost the father of the atomic bomb in, from Pakistan, right? Uh, a couple weeks ago. So, where is that? Well, he was given the credit of making the atomic bomb. Simple five, nine, five, ten, six foot person. He's the father of the atomic bomb. What does that tell you? That the most powerful thing in this world is not uh, material things. The most powerful thing is Makhluk is Allah Azza wa Jal's insan when that insan does what's supposed to do. When he does what he's supposed to do, then he will go further than the angels. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, everything, O Muhammad that's on this earth, I'm gonna destroy it, I'm gonna make it one barren plain land, including these fara'ina of, of Makkah, Abu Jahal, Abu Lahab, and the likes of them who are being such a pain for you, they're all going down. Their palaces are going, their gardens are going, and they're going. Today, Seriously, where can, you, where, do, where can we find the grave of Abu Lahab or Abu Jahl? Who knows where his palace was? Who knows where his house was? Who knows where his plantations were? Who knows where their properties were? All completely gone. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is consoling the Prophet ﷺ that these people, they're enjoying their power for a few days. And at the end, everything's gonna come to dust. 
So this is what Allah is telling Rasulullah But for us, there's so much. See, the, the Quran isn't just a story that we, we just say, like kids say, Baba, share a story. So you share a story with them. You share it with them. Then what? There's no then what. This is, this is it. Every single story of the Quran is a sign for people who have intelligence. If you don't have brains, you're not going to benefit from the stories of the Quran. Lubbun means brains. The Quran says, indeed, there is benefit and wisdom and lessons to be learned for the intelligent people from the stories of the people of the past. It's not a storybook that we put away and say, that was nice. None of this is just historical facts. That's, Quran is not meant to be a history book. But Quran is supposed to be a very book, a book that's very alive, and that is supposed to be constantly giving us updated new solutions. Think about that, right? Isn't that you heard what I said? It's the same story. It's the same story, but the benefits keep on changing. New automatic phones have their. Uh, I hear about the new latest electric cars getting the uh, latest new versions downloaded automatically, and all sorts of stuff happening. Do you see that today, right? So now, if that a human being is able to do that, what about Allah Azza wa Jal? Why can He not have that same Qur'an? That same Tesla doesn't move. The same car. New software is coming in. iPhone is not changing. Same one in your pocket. Right? But the updates are coming in. And none of us think it's weird. It's normal. Why is it then, the Qur'an which is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's kalam, is His word, why can it not have its lesson continuously be updated? It's making ajeeb You heard what I said? It's not surprising. Say, no, but this is an old book. How can it be relevant to us now? It just like no one throws away a one-year-old car or a one-year-old phone, we, even though that's man-made. This is not even God-made. Quran is not made by Allah. Quran is an attribute of Allah, not a creation of Allah. So it's sub- more above and beyond any creation because it's not a creation. It's an attribute of Allah. It's very alive. And, it's, and it's const- constantly its message is refreshing. It's being updated, continuous updates in its application, how it's applied. You take the explanation of Rasulullah and the Sahaba and you make that as a, a framework. I'm not saying you go out of that framework. You use that as a framework. And then you apply the explanations, you apply the verses of the Quran to the modern context. So here, let's see what the Quran is telling us on this aspect. That every single thing on this earth is a zina. What's a zina? Zina is that attractive zukhruf or that, uh, that, 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 the, the, that attraction which catches the eye and uh, uh, distracts a person, but then after that it disappears. That's zukhruf. Christmas lights huh? or any other type of lights out there that attract a person, that for the little children the circus comes to town. All of this is zukhruf, zakharif. All of that is zina. There's no haqiqah to it. There's no reality to it. It is just like the topping in the, uh, on a cake. It's just like the candles on a cake. It's there, it looks beautiful. But after a while, you realize that it's, it's a melting ice cream cake. Huh? A melting, uh, they have ice carvings now they do in weddings apparently. Uh, expensive ice carvings. And a person gets it made in, 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 in the shape and the form of a bride and a groom or Allahu Alam, whatever they're supposed to do. How long does that last, right? As beautiful as it is, it will melt away. This is exactly what this entire dunya is. Allah says, I made everything on this earth as a zina. Now notice, it's every, Allah says everything on the earth. Why did He not mention other things here? Well, because what's on the earth is closest to you. Even a child doesn't look up. What is a child? A toddler 
or someone is just learning how to crawl, he's focusing on the earth. He's picking up little things off the earth, playing with them, putting in his mouth, interacting with the earth. The earth is that creation of Allah which we all interact with. Even the youngest interact with that. The heavens, it may take a little bit of age for a person to start reflecting on the sky. But the earth is something that everyone reflects upon and engages with. So the Quran is saying, even that earth, just look right above, like, right beneath you, I have made everything on this earth a beauty for it. The purpose of the beauty, let's understand why Allah made the earth beautiful. Why are people beautiful? Why are buildings beautiful? Why is the sunrise, sunset? Plants, animals, why is there beauty on earth? Why, is, why are we always constantly wanting to pull out our phone and take a picture? Let's ask ourselves, what's the purpose of it? Usually when a person enters a place and he sees extraordinary beautification, he asks, what's the occasion? Is it a presidential arrival? Is it a state dinner? Is it a wedding night? What is going on? So now the question is, why did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make this earth so beautiful? And everything around it, even the heavens and everything, Allah clearly says it. لِنَبْلُوَهُمْ The purpose of it is to test you. The purpose of all of it is to test. This is all a big test. This ayah is such an important verse for us to reflect. Every time you get caught off guard by the beauty of the things of this world, remember this ayah. Not just the natural beauty, but the man-made beauty. Think about it, that this is a test. Similarly, the opposite gender, for example, is a beauty. But why did Allah create that? Place them all over the place. For men and women, each other in attraction, لِنَبْلُوَهُمْ To test them. Okay, what are, what's a test about? أَيُّهُمْ أَحْسَنُ عَمَلًا Who has the best of deeds? Who has the best in deeds? The scholars explain that the best of deeds here is referring to those who will not get intoxicated in the materialistic world. أَحْسَنُ عَمَلًا are those who have the willpower to stay away from becoming enamored by the worldly attractions. If any one of us say, I like beautiful cars, nice cars, I like a beautiful home, you're not irreligious. You're not a fasiq. You're not a sinner by saying that. You are saying what's natural. That's exactly what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to be attractive, it's supposed to be tempting. And the hadith of the Prophet khadira. Indeed, the dunya is sweet and green. Indeed, dunya is sweet and green, like the green Benjamins. And indeed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made you a khalifa in it. Allah has made you responsible for your dealings and the dealings of others in this earth. Allah is going to see how you will go about your life. Like there's a test that you tell a five-year-old, here's a bunch of you know, jelly beans. Huh? Wait for two minutes, I'm coming. We'll eat after I come. <laughs> and see, will that five-year-old or three-year-old wait till you come back to eat with you? Or he says, no, while they're gone, let me just start nibbling or going all out. They've done, done these tests on kids, right? To see willpower, how strong is it? And which child has the ability to withhold and wait? And which child just caves in? That same willpower is with us that Allah SWT is saying, we well, wait, wait, you can enjoy life, no problem. Jannat's got wine, Jannat's got milk, Jannat's got rivers of everything, Jannat's got hur, Jannat's got wildan, Jannat's got everything, gold and silver, but you just gotta wait. So now some of us can do it, and some of us, we fail to control ourselves, unfortunately. 
So ahsanu amala, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, Rasulullah is saying, Allah is going to see how you react with this green and sweet dunya. زُيِّنَ لِلنَّاسِ حُبُّ الشَّهَوَاتِ مِنَ النِّسَاءِ وَالْبَنِينَ وَالْقَنَاطِيرِ الْمُقَنْطَرَةِ مِنَ الذَّهَبِ وَالْفِضَّةِ وَالْخَيْرِ الْمُسَوَّمَةِ وَالْأَنْعَامِ وَالْحَرْثِ ذَلِكَ مَتَاعُ الْحَيَاةِ الدُّنْيَا وَاللَّهُ عِنْدَهُ حُسْنُ الْمَآبِ Allah Azza wa Jalla says, زُيِّنَ لِلنَّاسِ The following things have been made beautiful for mankind. The following things have been made beautiful. You're not abnormal if you're attracted to these things. حُبُّ الشَّهَوَاتِ The love of lustful things. The love of lustful things. What are those? I.e. What are those? Minan nisa women. Walbanin children, sons, sons. Walqanatil almuqantara. Not a little bit money, but tons of money. That's what it is. Qanatil almuqantara means tons of it. Not enough. Kebai says yada kya zurati. I can live off of this. No, 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 no. More, more, and more, and more till you can't count. Qanatil almuqantara. Insane amounts of money. Minan zahab, silver. Walfidda gold. Fidda silver. وَالْخَيْرِ الْمُسَوَّمَةِ And not any horse, the very best horses, the very best Ferrari. Right? Any horse, any car will do. No, but we need to have the best. مُسَوَّمَةِ That's got its, that has got its logo right on its, you know, uh, 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 forehead there. Right? It's got, it's got what, what do you call that? On the cars. Huh? No, what is that? The, the Mercedes, the medallion, right? Right? So it's got to have that medallion. That, that little horse there, subhanAllah. Or that star, or whatever. That was Khairul Musawama means. Right? That it's not just any normal horse. It's got his medallion stuck there. Wal an'am and livestock. Wal harf and plantations and farms. After saying all of this, Allah says, it's been made beautiful for you. He says, this is mere enjoyment of the worldly life. This is mere enjoyment of worldly life. Wallahu indahu husnu thawab. The real reward and the best place to go is Allah. Allah, this is just starters. You know, you can, you know when we go to Dawat or you go to some a restaurant, the, the host brings out all the appetizers. And mashallah, if you're enjoying the, uh, what you call the, the puri and uh, the, 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 the samosas and whatnot, the, the host may say, bhai, mashallah, I'm happy you're enjoying the soup. But bhai, this is just appetizers. You've got four or five main course coming. Then after that, you've got the desserts also and then tea also. How are you going to eat so many appetizers? What's going to happen to the rest? So there you go. Pani bhi ate, he sits in the restaurant drinking well, he's thirsty, he's drinking bottles of cold water Unless you're on a mashallah good diet Which is good, very important well, Otherwise, you don't want You got a limited amount of space So if you enjoy and indulge in the dunya We're gonna have nothing left in the akhirah See this, see You can eat the cake or have the cake You can have both If we indulge here We're not gonna get it over there Indulge, what does indulge mean? I didn't say use Indulge means to a level in which We forget our maqsad in this world and that at all costs, we, we prefer the dunya over the akhirah. Whether it's coming from halal or from haram. Whether it ne- makes us neglectful of Allah Azza wa Jal, but we just need dunya. That's all we want. Besides that, nothing else. Okay, at all costs, I need to be rich. My beloved friends, I want to say, we should all have a desire to become self-sufficient and not in need to go beg anyone. And we should have a desire to be able to help and give to others and, 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 and support our elders and our parents. But in deep down, a desire of just amassment of wealth is really a disease of the heart. It's a disease that many of the youngsters and the adults have, and we may all have it at some time or another. Attraction is there, but let us ask Allah protection from becoming an ashiq, a lover, and one who's intoxicated with the love of it, that I need to have more, must have. Instead, we should ask Allah, Allah maqanni'ani bima razaqtani. Oh Allah, grant me qana'ah and contentment with whatever you have given me. 
And whatever I'm missing in my life, make, make it up for me in a better manner. Whatever I want, whatever I desire, every day I'm making dua, Ya Allah, give me this. And I'm not getting it. And you're not meant to give it to me. I'm not going to stop asking. I'm going to keep on asking. But the fact that I don't get what I want, I want you to replace that with something way better in the hereafter. Right? Allah maqanni'ni bima razaqtani. Oh Allah, make me content with what you have given me. And whatever ghaiba is not present in my life, wakhluf, replace it with something much better. Another beautiful dua in Hizbul A'adham and Munajat Maqbul is Allahumma wa ma razaqtani mimma uhib faj'alhu quwwatan li fima tuhib. Oh Allah, whatever you have granted me from that which I like, whatever you've granted me from that which I like, Allow me to use it in fulfilling what you like. Oh Allah, whatever you've given me that I like, allow, what is that? I like money, I like cars, I like this, I like that. Okay, fine. You gave it to me, I want it. Or healthy body. Allow me to now utilize those blessings in a manner that befits, that you want, you wish, which is your ibadah, your worship. Allahumma wa ma zawaitani mimma uhib. And oh Allah, what you have chosen to take away from me, which I love, then this empty spot in my heart that I want this. I want a son, I'm not getting it. I want a daughter, I'm not getting it. I want more children, or I want some children, or I want some, a hired paying job, or I want some more honor in life and respect in the world. I want a promotion. I want a, health, a healthy life, and I'm not getting it. Now there's an empty spot in my heart. You know? I wish I had that, and I don't have it. Hasrat. And we're sitting there crying over something which we didn't get. Now what is it? It's a spot, empty spot. Oh Allah, whatever empty spot there is in my heart from what I wanted and you didn't give it to me, it's empty already. Now what should you do with it? فَجْعَلْهُ لِي فَرَاغًا لِمَا تُحَبْ Make this empty spot be filled up with what you like. Seat right? Passenger, bus The bus moved on, you have an empty seat. We've got to do the best use of this empty seat. So now, what do we do on a flight? We take over the two, three seats and we sleep. We, lo- we love for we look forward to that. You know, anyway, empty seat, no. In the international flight, you say, Alhamdulillah, this is ni'mah. Yes? So by the, you, your life is moving forward. You have empty spots in your heart. You're not getting what you want. Instead of there sitting there crying all day over the empty spot, how about we ask Allah, Ya Allah, fill this empty spot with something that you want. Where do you get this from? You get this from the Rasulullah's dua. That's why we should be all reciting and going through the du'as of Rasulullah Because have you ever thought about making a du'a like this? Our mind doesn't even go to that level. Just job, khana, pina, that's all we ask. Right? But this is what we don't think beyond that. When you read the du'as of Rasulullah you see the depth. So munajat maqbul, accepted whispers, hizbul a'zam, books available downstairs in the bookstore, or online, wherever you want to get them. But these are beautiful books that a person should make a habit. They're divided over seven, seven sections. A section to be recited daily. So in the process of a week, you can recite the entire book. We did a maqra here, if you remember, some years ago. We recited the entire Hizbul A'zam, alhamdulillah, in one sitting, in the end of the winter intensive. So, um, you know, and we give ijazah to all those brothers who are present and sisters who are present. So anyway, so this is what the Qur'an is saying, that don't fall for the beauty of this world. It's all a big test. And what's it going to happen at the end? Every single thing that's on here will all come and become a plain, barren land. What's Sa'id? Sa'id is that uh, um, 
that uh, level of soil that's right on top of the earth in which there is no uh, vegetation just on top and juruza is an earth, a plot of land that is free from any and all types of vegetation sometimes there is but a swarm of locusts or some other type of natural disaster came and destroyed everything that's called juruza so you have saeed which is empty and then juruza which had something but it's destroyed so allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying every single thing is going to come to an end we need to, to reflect on this ayah every single day when we push towards kya insan ki fitrat i remember our ustad you know he told us advice before when we're graduating qari ayub sahab adam allah fi alina he said but when you get married make sure you lead up you know first few weeks yes you want to enjoy those times but make sure your expenditure is equivalent to your paycheck just now the first week Mawlana Saab is telling us right ulama graduating that you go all out every single night candlelight dinner every single day roses every single day this that then the next week now you're going into the store to just go grab some you know a pair of shoes quickly or, or a pair of pants and then your family your wife sees and says well that's a brand new nice latest watcher huh how much is that? What's the price tag? 25. Ah, you can get that. 2500. We already have a washer. But no, but this has got the LED lights. It's got really nice, good stuff. You can control it from the phone. All the, you notice all the washers you can turn on the phone, but the laundry you still got to put in yourself. You haven't come up with that method where with the press of a button, <laughs> it puts the clothes in too. Right? We still have to do that part. It just turns it on. But so now he says, now you say, bye, nah, 25. Inshallah, badme. Then she comes, stops another thing. She sees another new appliance. She says, oh, it would be nice to have this into the kitchen, a new microwave, a new this thing and that thing. Here, by the time he came out of the store, three, four things she keeps on asking to buy. But you already, you know, three-fourths of the way out of your paycheck on the first week with all your fancy dinners. Now, after a couple of weeks, when you keep on, she's asking, you're not being able to purchase what she's saying. She may begin to think that, oh, the relationship is going down south now. What's going on? You used to, first week you were so nice to me. You used to buy, buy everything for me. And now, she doesn't know you maxed out on your credit card. Right? So he, that's why he would say that the first week or oh, first month, make sure you spend in a manner that you can keep up with it. Not overdo it. This is what one of the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ we did. Uh, which is, الْاِقْتِصَادُ فِي النَّفَقَةِ نِصْفُ الْمَعِيشَةِ Spending in moderation is half of your paycheck. Half of your risk comes from spending in a moderate manner. Hadith of Rasulullah When we overspend, we are, there's no barakah in it. That's where we. That's why. That's the issue. What happens over there? Let's move on now to the to the next session, next section, of, uh, uh, and the big story of this surah. Let's go through the translation first. So this story is covered into two sections. The first few verses, it is a uh, synopsis of the surah. A synopsis of the story. Then after that, Allah repeats the whole story in detail over many, many verses. So let's do the short version of it. Am hasibta. Now, O Prophet ﷺ, do you deem the account of the companions of the cave and the tablet recording the inscription of it to be amongst the most wondrous of our signs? Do you think the story of the people of the cave is the most amazing, most wondrous thing? That this, there's nothing like this in the world? That's not true. The story of the people of the cave is very unique, very wondrous. But guess what? Every aspect, the fact that you're sitting here alive, 
and breathing and all the bodily systems in your brain and your mind respiratory system you know uh, uh, your nervous system all the uh, all the various organs are running you think that's any less weird and wondrous that's what the quran is saying it's not just a story of the cave your existence and your breathing in and out every single day is a miracle that points towards allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's greatness and that's why rabbul alamin the word alam what does alam come from alam what does alam mean that's alim right so alam is the world alam comes from the word although pakistan may they say alim ko alam kehte na astaghfar alam no that's not 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 this alim and alam two different alim is a person of knowledge alam is the world the world the word comes from alam comes from the word alam which means a sign kehte alam alam kehte na ghanda wo alam actually alam it is a sign and another word calls alama what's alama also sign so the entire world is called alam lianna kull alalami alamatun tadullu ala wahdaniyatillah ta'ala wa azamatillah ta'ala wa qudratillah ta'ala because the entire world is one big billboard pointing towards allah's greatness the entire world is an alam kitna ajeeb cheez hai how can a person live in this world breathe in this world die in this world and still not recognize allah when the entire world allah calls it alam because it's all an alama of allah's greatness it's all a flag alam or alam rather alam of allah's greatness okay so rabbul alamin there's not just one world all the worlds are pointing towards allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so the story of the people of the cave is not just the most strange there's many other strange ones if awal fitiyatu ila al-kahf what happened in this story behold there were a group of youth who took shelter in the cave apart from their people awa means to take shelter fitya the plural fata it means a group of young people kahf means the cave a cave inside a mountain faqalu they said rabbana o our lord rabbana atina grant us miladunka from your own providence from your own providence rahmatan mercy wahayyi hayyi means to uh, furnish uh, furnish enable grant us lana for our for us in our present circumstances min amrina our present circumstances rashada right guidance rashid rashid someone who's rightly guided okay so right guidance ya allah provide us right guidance in our affairs right now so what did we do? فَضَرَبْنَا عَلَىٰ أَذَانٍ فِي الْكَهْفِ So we struck a seal of sleep upon their ears, in their cave. سِنِينَ عَدَدَ For a great number of years. عَدَدًا means you have to sit there counting it. It's not a few years. It's many, many years. ضَرَبَ means to hit. We struck. That's why he says we struck it. Seal their ears in the cave. ثُمَّ بَعَثْنَاهُمْ Then we awakened them the way you awaken people out of after death. That sleep was so deep, it was like death, half of death. We awaken them after that. Lina alama, so that we might distinct. Lina alama, so that we we may distinguish which of the two parties amongst them. Of course, you might be saying some of you may be saying lina alama means so that we may know. How can we translate this as distinguish? Because this is called ilma vuhurin. Lina alama, Allah already knows. Allah wants you to know it. He already has the knowledge of everything. He is allowing the story to become a manifestation of His knowledge. That's why it's been translated as so that we might distinguish. 
which of the two parties amongst them would best enumerate the length that they had abided in the cave. Hizbain is the plural, the dual of Hizb, which means a party. Two jama'ats. Which are the two jama'ats? Within jama'at, within the two, with, there are two groups within the people of the cave, as we will see. One group said, we spent, we slept day or half a day. And the other group said, I don't think we can sit and guess how long we slept. Allah knows best. That's one opinion. A second opinion is that the two groups refers to the group of the people who slept, who thought they slept for maybe a day or two or more. And the people outside who know that definitely these people disappeared for hundreds of years. Okay, so there's, there's now internal, uh, there's a difference of opinion which is just going to get solved at the end of the story. We're going to find out who's true. There's one, those who are living inside thinking it was, a, it was a long sleep, but not super. It can't be more than a day or two. And the people outside know that it's actually hundreds of years. So these, these are the two parties. Or it's the two parties are actually the people within the cave. Now we relate to you their tidings. That's it. This is now the more detailed version of it. Okay? نَحْنُ نَقُصُّ عَلَيْكَ نَبَأَهُمْ بِالْحَقِّ إِنَّهُمْ فِتْيَةٌ آمَنُوا بِرَبِّهِمْ وَزِدْنَهُمْ هُدَى This is the detailed section is starting. Let's first finish up the shorter version before we move on to the detailed version. So, Allah Azza wa Jal says here that this group of youth are living at a time, you know, I'm, as we said, Quran is not a history book. So we're not going to go into the very, we're not sitting in class here and teaching in the Alam program here, where they have to go through all the aqwal and the opinions about which city, which era, which time, the names of the king. That's not really relevant to all of us here. What's relevant is a story, the, the lessons that we can derive from it. And so that's why we're going to stick to. So this is, the, this is a time uh, before Rasulullah some obviously. And more than likely during the time of the Bani Israel, before even Isa Because the Jews had meticulously uh, covered their story. And they had um, preserved their story. And that's why, if you remember from last week, they told the mushrikeen of Mecca to go ask Rasulullah about this. Go ask them the story, because they were following this. So in, during that time, there was a town in which uh, the king was a mushrik. And he did not, he invited people to worship idols. He did not want people to Follow the deen. Oh, um, okay. I was still going to do that ayah. So in that in that era, these young men, Allah Azza wa Jal guided them towards Islam, guided them towards their true deen. And the news reached the king. The king called him, called them into his court, and asked them, "What is it that I'm hearing about you all that you are trying to practice?" a religion that is not acceptable in our society. SubhanAllah. As you go through this story, think about what's happening in China. Right? This is, that's what I mean. It's real. This story is alive in this day and age. Look at what's going on in China. Read at least, you know, take the time out to read a few pages and ask yourselves, I have such a hard time remaining a Muslim when no one says anything to me. Instead, people are pushing me. My parents are, my family is, the masjid is, the text message, the whatsapp message, the facebook post is all pushing me towards the deen. Yet I have such a hard time fulfilling my basics. Imagine, la qaddarallah, a million times, may Allah not make it happen that if I were in a situation and faced with a situation that uh, Muslims in China are faced with. They just made a decree that they're gonna cut off all the domes. You read that this week? 
removal of all domes from Masajid. I mean, what thing have they not done? Every single thing to completely destroy every you know uh, aspect of Sha'ir al-Islam, symbols of Islam. So the king called them and said, what is it I hear that you're following this deen? Give this up. And they said, no, we're not. And so they had a discussion. He said, who is this? Allah. And so they started giving da'wah of Allah Azzawajal towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in front of the king. He was shocked that these young people, they have the audacity to speak these type of things. He said, okay, fine. You, I'll give you some chance. You know, you're young, you might not be thinking appropriately. According to some narrations, these young men were actually very well-connected family members of the noble class. So they actually had access to the palace. According to some narrations, they had access to the luxuries that the palace affords people who are part of the royal family. So he warned them that as royalty, you are saying these type of things, I'm going to strip you of this royal robes and make you lose all access to the royal palace and court. And instead of enjoying what you're enjoying today, you're going to be in the dungeon if you choose not to give up this faith. And they said, okay, give us, you know, let us go. Give us some time. When they were allowed to go, they left. They went home, packed up their bags, and they ran. Now there's different narrations. Either these group of people were together when they faced the king. And he spoke to them in one shot. And he gave them, ta- he gave them respite together. And then they all left. And according to many other narrations, these were not connected. These young people were different people from that time, who were all Muslims, one common denominator. They were Muslims when no one else wanted, was allowing them to be a Muslim. So they all happened to be on one day, out and about from the village in the town, and they saw each other. And when they saw each other, they said, who are you? Why are you here? And no one was speaking. They said, okay, fine. Let's take an oath that we all speak up to each other with our stories. On the condition that if our purpose of leaving town is the same, we will become as one group and work together. And if our purpose is different, then at least we won't rat out each other. We won't say anything about each other. We'll keep it quiet. If we can help each other, mashallah, good. If not, let's... Let's, let's not try to harm each other. Go ahead. You say, why are you here? Why are you here? Why are you here? So they all shared their story why they have come. And it became quite apparent that they had all left the town because of trying to protect their deen. So they said that we need to uh, do something. Now what should, should we just run away? What, what should we do? It doesn't seem that that area is very conducive to practice Islam. But remember my dear friends, apply it to your life. Apply it to your life. Okay? That you have your mom and dad, you have your grandparents, you have your own very own home, you have your very own car, you have your own very favorite gym, favorite restaurant, restaurants, right? Favorite uh, drinks and favorite food and favorite workout place and favorite sports and favorite group of friends. And the only issue is there's pressure for you not to follow the deen. Which one are you going to keep? Which one are you going to give up? Ask, all of us should ask ourselves this question. Right? What price are you willing to pay? to remain a Muslim? What price are you willing to pay to be steadfast and to be able to perform your salah? It hurts me thinking about a youngster, one day I saw him, and he's growing out a beard. Mupart, you know kids, they, they, just, they don't know what they're talking about. And they say, he shaved his beard, the next, next week I saw him, I said, what happened to your beard? Instead of just saying, Shaykh, please forgive me, you know, make dua for me, you know, subhanAllah. He tells me, 10 bucks. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, I got a $10 an hour job. That's it. That's why I cut and shaved my beard. Because that's what they don't want me to have a beard. So 10 bucks an hour. This is like, you know, 15 years ago. And I'm like, I'm like, do you realize the gravity of what you're saying? 
the gravity of what you're saying what, what type of filth is this subhanallah instead of a person sitting there crying to say I have to give up my beard for my job it may sometimes those type of tests come a person's you know in a person's life as, 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 as a brother one day was mentioning to me that he said I, I, I grew out a beard but never thought about much but he said the real value of the beard came the day when I was going for an interview and someone said oh you're going for that interview you gotta you know trim your beard you know look that's what it is the people still there's still many people living <laughs> they didn't know colonialism is over they still think it's still going so they you know if you walk out of out of a shalwar kameez kurta hey bhai kya bhai pant peno bhai patloon peno wear your pant Where, what you doing they're still living under colonial rule so having a beard and going outside wearing a thobe and going outside they think the the, the, the you know the British are gonna come in India and they're gonna knock you out that's what they still think so they have to be reminded that no bhai it's a free country alhamdulillah we're able to practice one day I was giving a khutbah in one city, state afterwards and I was speaking about a topic which I usually always speak about when I'm traveling about the, the issue of people leaving Islam and the issues of trials of doubts and desires and, and so forth and we have to we have to these are the this is the problem and these are the efforts we have to do to save our children and ourselves afterwards I was at the booth outside an elderly uncle comes to me says are you with a khatib I'm like, yes. Usually either it's very good news or bad news when someone asks you that. So I say, what happened? So then he's like, oh my God. And then he started going off on me. And, and why was he going off on me? Well, you know what he's going off on me on? Because I was wearing a turban. And he said, how did... This is way before what happened in, in Afghanistan. He's like, this is like about a, two years ago. And he says, I cannot believe you. You're in America and giving a khutbah looking like the terrorist. And he himself, himself was from Afghanistan, I think so. Or was he, where was he from? I forgot. Maybe it was Palestine. One of those two countries, I'm forgetting. He had an accent. I said, what? Do you mean if, you, if, the, if wearing a turban is terrorism, then all the 5,000 angels plus the 3,000 that were coming, but they're all terrorists. Because the Quran says, Musa Wimin. Those angels were descending in the battle of Badr wearing turbans. Right? They were wearing turbans. Rasulullah entered the, uh, what you call the, the Mecca wearing a turban. Rasulullah was never seen with his head uncovered. As much as people want to make this into a desi thing, it's not a desi thing for your information. It has nothing to do with India, India, Pakistan. The covering the head is part of the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. If Allah uses a certain group of people to revive it, good for them. But don't ever think that this is coming out of some village in India. This is the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. So revive it, my friends. There was a time, there was a time in India, and Pakistan and probably in the Khalij because I'm not from there but if you that you would enter a masjid you would not find a single person with their head uncovered and now I actually gave a khutbah once and from the member I'm looking at the crowd I'm like okay hold on wait can I find even one guy here besides me who's got his head covered here and the entire masjid entire masjid look at how the tables have turned it's a sunnah of the Prophet yes it's not fard yes but it's one of the symbols of a Muslim as Imam Zaid one day mentioned couple years ago he's like if, if for any if you if you have no motivation just do it to show solidarity with your wife your daughter and your mother who wears the hijab they're out there a target of islamophobia our sisters daughters and mothers wearing the scarf come sick up unki sharam se to pehno bhai topi right cover your head cover your head out of the shame that my mom and dad my mom and my sister are walking around in in the store in the college or whatever with their scarf and they're a target for people for islamophobes why are you shy from covering your head. This is the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. So nonetheless, Nabi ﷺ used to wear a turban all the time. But this is part of the colon colonialism 
That it's the it's called it's called the war of of not land. It's called the war of hearts and minds, which they have won. That a person is sitting here at the age of seventy in a free country, and if you see someone wearing uh, uh, shorts and purple hair and it's a hundred tattoos, it will, not no problem. But you see someone wearing the sunnah of the Prophet he says, "By why are you dressed like a terrorist?" So ye dil ka kira hai na. This is it. Inside, abhi to ko musibat aayi nahi. Imtihan lagat raha sath aayi nahi hai. There's no imtihan from Allah. You already saying junk like this. Allah forbid. When the when the imtihan comes from Allah, where are you gonna be? When Allah Azza wa Jalla, Allah forbid, puts you through this test, you choose Islam or you choose this. What you gonna do, my friend? If in a free country, no one tells you anything, you are afraid, or this individual is afraid to pray. One one brother many years ago came here. He's a refugee from Iraq. He came in. New brother just walked into the masjid. You saw me. So you're the Imam. Yeah. After Salah, he said. I heard it's illegal to, uh, you know, I just, I just a new person to this country. Is it illegal to pray outside? And that's why I came here. I said, what? What did you say? He said, yeah, I was praying, you know, it's time for salah. So he's a refugee. I don't know where they threw him into one of these, some of these places in one of the nearby towns. So he's like, it's salah time, I'm praying. And someone, a Muslim came up to me and said, no brother, this is not, you know, the Middle East. This is America. This is illegal for you to pray. Outside, you have to go. So yeah, this, this is where the deen gets hurt by people like this. By, by unfortunate people who have the azama and the greatness of Allah is not in the heart. The greatness of other things is in the heart. And guess what? Who doesn't, whoever doesn't fear Allah, Allah will make him afraid of everything else. Remember that. This is the, 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 this is the deen. If you submit yourself to Allah, Allah will make you free of the fear of anyone else. And if a person does not be afraid of Allah, what is all that's happening in the world today? Sari larakis par kursi Everything is about the chair. Who's in charge? People are so scared. And that they're willing to go to extreme lengths, unbelievable amounts of oppression to killing millions of their own people. Because of this, what happened? They're so scared of losing power. Why? Because they're afraid of no one. They're afraid of, they're not afraid of Allah. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Wallahi has made them more scared of losing their power than any one of us can think. We can't even imagine the level of fear they have. We can't even imagine the level of fear they have. And that's what makes them do the crazy things that they do. It's because of the fear of the loss of power. This is it. So we're speaking about, where was I? The sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. That these individuals, they realized that the environment was not conducive. So what are you gonna do? When we, if, if, if we're asked, we say, Bhai, why are we not practicing the deen? Bhai, America hai na bhai. This is America. 2020, 2021. This is a university town. This is Fortune 500 company that I'm working for. This is the, 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 this is the expectations in the medical career, etc., etc. Or whatever. So what happens? The question is, is that, the, is that really an answer that's gonna pass in the Qadr? Is this what we're gonna say? That's why they say, you know, when, when you come, they say, Al-Udru Aqbahu Minad Dhambi. Someone comes and says, Bhai, why are you late? Or any school, why are you late? Imagine he says, I was late because I was finishing up my cigarette. <laughs> excuse. So this the saying for that is Al-Udru Aqbahu min al-Dhambi. The excuse is worse than the sin. But what the excuse you're giving is worse than that. So if a person is not practicing the deen and then he gives the excuse, it's because of the circumstances that we're in. Understand the circumstances we're in. My friends, the deen that's based on a circumstantial deen will never last. COVID showed us that. COVID, lockdown, showed us that. 
that if your deen or my deen was based on circumstances, then we're out. If the masjid is not open, I'm not gonna pray. If the masjid doesn't have a program, then I'm not gonna read my, my, my dars. Then khatam, we've lost hundreds of millions of people in this past two years. Oh, we've lost them. Because the deen was based on what environment? And the deen was based on circumstances. And when the environment and the circumstances changed, they lost it. Do you understand what I'm saying? Think about it again and again what I just said. That this past two years is a great example of what happens when deen is based on environment and uh, 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 you know, uh, uh, circumstances. That if Allah overnight chooses to switch them the way He did for us in the second week of March, then you know, we, will, we may lose everything. When Dajjal shows up, the entire environment is going to be 100% absolutely anti-following the deen. That's what it is. It is absolutely not conducive. It's like March of 2019, going around, giving big hugs to everyone without a mask, and shaking hands with people, say, hey, you want to share an ice cream? Huh? Imagine if you were to do that, right? Just think about it. Just think about it. What would have happened to you? That, because how against the norm that would be to hug someone, to shake hands with someone, to, to invite people over, to say, hey, let's have a big barbecue. No one. Just remember the streets. Remember the masjid gate was closed. Remember the streets were empty. Remember Walgreens was closed. JCPenney was closed. Everything was closed. Remember that. Two years ago. In that environment, now you want to do something. Tamasha. How hard it would be. That's a million times harder than that will be following deen during the era of Dajjal. Because no one will be doing it. We say, what? What are you talking about? How could you? How could you say you're going to pray salah? Why would you do that? It's going to be absolutely not conducive. So if we are having a hard time going against the flow today, what will happen 20 years from now? What will happen 30 years from now? My dear friends, I want you to think about this. We're leaving our young children, our two, the, 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 the corona babies as they call them. That entire generation will always be called corona babies. We're leaving them in a world that is thousands of times more challenging than the world you and I were born in. And that you and I are living in right now. They will never know what was pre-corona lifestyle. They've never seen that before. They have no idea. And for them, to be able to practice the deen firmly will be even a much, much greater challenge than it is right now handling ourselves or our 18-year-olds. So we have to up up the game. We really have to take it to the next level. If we want to simply save ourselves. You know, when the car, my dear friends, is slipping into the ditch, okay? Into the ditch. Do you with one finger, turn your steering wheel like this? Huh? You put your two hands, and if you can, your two feet, and you turn the entire thing the opposite side. That's exactly what you need to do right now. Because the entire deen is going into the ditches. The ummah is going towards the ditches. They're following off, falling off the deen. If you want to protect yourself and your family, you can't say, ha ha, juma juma ham aate bhai. We come Friday, Friday. Alhamdulillah. We, we send our kids to Sunday school. I'm sorry. I'm being honest to God. It's not going to cut it. It's not going to cut it. Sunday school, once a week, juma, Eid, cultural gatherings, it's not going to cut it. It's just a matter of time before we'll completely, completely lose our generations to atheism. If you want to protect yourself, you have to make an overcorrection. Or if, you know what I mean? You have to make an extra correction. Maybe not overcorrection, but an extra correction. 
And you really have to go all, all out. And so people around you will be saying, what are you doing? Why are you overdoing it? Extremist kyun ban People say extremist. Anything you do, you send your kids to an Islamic school, you send them to madrasa, you send them to study, the masjid, you go to the masjid more than once a day, you become an extremist. Diyada, you know, you're becoming too religious. When your family starts calling you too religious, understand that you are slowly getting in the right direction. Otherwise, it's a problem. When the rest of the community says, I'm, I'm being very honest. When the rest of the community, everyone says, Yaar, ye to mashallah, dost hai, He's my friend. Because bhai, the, hai, the people who are saying it, unko you know what I mean? They sit and they drink wine and dine, and then they're saying, Yari hamare yare. Imagine what's that gonna feel like? If you're too cl- cl- you know, close to people who don't have a very strong deen, that tells us all about me or you. We don't we need to stop trying to play the game of being most popular person on the block. Yeah, this is an issue. Our wives have it and we have it. Everyone must love our home. Everyone must love us. Everyone must love my husband. Everyone must, my wife must be the most popular amongst the women. My husband must be the most popular amongst the men. And if we don't go to the party, we're going to lose that popularity contest. If we don't invite them over with all their tamasha, then we're going to lose that. Understand that if you run on this popularity contest, you will become popular with Iblis and his army. If, if you want that, that's the way to do it. When the people who are not following the deen say, this guy is becoming too religious, that's a good sign. I'm not saying compromise on your character and your akhlaq. Put $100 in an in envelope and throw in all their boxes, in their mailboxes. MashaAllah, no one's saying don't do that. Send big gifts to their house. MashaAllah, no problem. But we have to make sure that we are not trying to compromise our deen in order to win over their approval. So these young men said, we don't need the approval of society. And we don't need the luxuries that this palace affords us. There's nothing more important to us than our deen. And so let's get out. And when they left, they didn't go for camping purposes. They went long term to preserve the deen and they took with them their books. Some ulama have said, Raqim. Some ulama have said, Raqim is Ashabul Kahfi wa Raqim, the people of Kahf and the people of the tablet recording. You see this, right? You see this? Raqim. Some have said Raqim was the name of the dog. Some have said Raqim is the name of the valley. Some have said Raqim is the tablet in which something was recorded. Raqama, they say Raqim al Huruf. You heard this before? Achi Urdu Salis Urdu Raqim al Huruf. The one who wrote this. Raqim, Raqama is to write. So, Raqim is a tablet in which something is written. What was written on there? Multiple opinions. One is, it was the Torah and excerpts of the Torah that were written on the Raqim that they took with them. What we call their Talim book that they took with them. Got it? This is the Talim book that they took with them. This is what Mawlana Nadwi writes. There is the Tafsir. Ahmad, is it there outside? Available today? No? Okay. So they did order last week. Some of you got it. The, the, the Mulana Abul Hassan Ali Nadwi's tafsir, Faith versus Materialism, that I had mentioned. It was available. Maybe it will be available next week. But it's an amazing. I didn't know that such a copy was available. The copy I have, 
and the copy I downloaded was an extremely old pub uh, publishing. So this is really nice. Make sure you get your hands on it before the, you know, whenever it comes, whenever it's available. Uh, so he mentions that Raqim is actually the book that the Torah or excerpts of Torah that they took with them. A second explanation of Raqim is the names of the people who disappeared, these young men, was written and kept in the uh, palace of the king when, he, when they found out that they disappeared. And they said, later on, whenever, you know you have missing people, so their names are written. That's how it was, their names were written. So they went there and they said, let's sit in and study these books and take some shelter in the cave. Now when they went there, they made a powerful dua. They, Allah Azza wa says, they took shelter in the cave. My dear brothers and sisters, you have heard us many times speaking about the fitna that we're living in right now. The era of, 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 of isms. And in the era of these isms, an average student who goes to high school and college, I kid you not, I don't know how he's going to protect his deen. When I walk by or take a walk by these high schools here, and I look at the tens of Muslim guys and girls walking out, I sit there and I think, how are these guys protecting, girls and guys, protecting their deen? Amongst 2,500 non-Muslims, 99% who are involved, according to the statistics in Sina, 99, not 97, 99% before marriage are involved, if they ever get married. And right now, the latest article this week showed that, we, that due, to, due to various factors, soon married people will become, guess what? The minority. Marriage, married people become the minority. And it's just not men and women together living, cohibiting, it's other stuff going on. And that's gonna increase. So now to send our sons and daughters to a normal public school or normal anything, and to expect that they're gonna come out clean and protected, it baffles me. I'm sorry. It baffles me. And if you, if you, if you are, you know, if your son or daughter is going through that, then yeah, I'm telling you as well. I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you, you know, kete na sarpe kya kete? Sine pe, patter dalke, right? Isn't that the word they say? When you want to do something bold, you say you put a you put a boulder over your heart. Right? And that's saying in Urdu, and you just do something. I I guess that's what you're doing. You close your eyes. Kuch nahi hoga. Nothing's gonna happen. Close your ears. Chalo jao. Go to public school. Because I cannot imagine. I myself would feel haya. I would feel ashamed. I really would feel ashamed to walk through a high school right now because of the filth that goes on there. I don't want to see that. I would feel ashamed, awkward. Why would I ever put my kids through something like that? But we never walked ourselves. How many of you have sat there without telling your son and daughter and go during the day, take permission from the superintendent. I don't know if they allow you stuff like this or not. Just walk through. Look, look what happens in recess. Look what happens behind the stairs. Look what behind happens in the hallways. Look at what happens when class gets out. Look what happens in the, soccer, in the, in the playground. And then tell me you'll send your daughter next, next day. But we just think like, like a pigeon. Like a pigeon, before it's slaughtered or before it's killed, what happens? It closes its eyes. Because a pigeon thinks, if I can't see it, it's not gonna harm me. We have become like pigeons. That if I don't know it, then it's not gonna harm my kids. And that foolishness is going to come haunt us. It's gonna come haunt us. We are living in an unprecedented level of fitna, my friends. You can't say, oh, I went in the 70s, I'm born and raised in this country, I went in school in the 80s and 90s. No, this is not the 80s and the 90s. We are in another whole 
level of fitna. Second graders, you know what's going on in this area. How the whole left is pushing the LGBTQ agenda in first grade, kindergarten, right here in this district as we speak. The books, the, the, the local Glen Allen books, if you go look in the toddler section, toddler section, I've seen it just this week. Right? My papa and my daddy. And the whole, it's this, you know those ones that you use for a two-year-old to teach? With the big two words on each page? It's like an eight-page book. And that's what it's called. It's the full-scale full agenda. Did that happen when you're growing up? No, right? So then, why do you think it's the same thing? And you just say, no, I'm so proud my son is getting 4.0 GPA. My daughter is getting 4.2. At the cost of what? At the cost of what? Let's talk about that. Let's leave the grades. Leave the APs. Leave the, all the college, you know, fancy colleges that they're getting into. Let's talk about the deen. And this is what scares me. Is the fact that no one seems to be caring about the deen of their kids. Just because we have an Arabic sounding name. Nowadays that's not even happening anymore. I don't know what it sounds like. The new names. That we think that this is going to save our children. So what do we need now in this era of fitna? We need a cave. All of us All of us Need a cave I need it for my kids And for myself You all need it This is We're all living in that era Like these young men are Dajjal ka zamana choro We can't even We just pray And we beg to Allah A billion times That may He never allow us To see Dajjal If we can't survive now What's gonna happen now? What's gonna happen then? If you look at the statistics Of promiscuity Within the Muslim youth Alcohol usage Within the Muslim youth it's unbelievable. It's almost, almost equivalent to non-Muslims. Just within this city, the, 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 like many of the young adults sitting here, I used to, uh, you know, or who come to this masjid, I interacted with them 15 years ago, 10 years ago when they were in engineering, medical school, uh, dental school, in the various universities over here. It was a normal, every single, almost three days a week, I would be visiting one of the universities here. And we'd have the dars there, and then we'd have a late night session in one of the apartments and that's how it was. And it was one week myself, one week other, others. Or, you know, it was just a, a constant mahol of, 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 of people who had graduated from overseas, came back, and were constantly visiting all the major universities of Chicagoland area. 2006 to 2012, whether it was Darul Hikmah or the other MSAs. It was always, mashallah, this amazing environment. And now, it's over. I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, it's, it's khatam. Like, I've never, I don't know what's going on there. The fact that I've asked any scholar, have you, been, have you recently spoken? No. Have you recently spoken? No. You know, guys know what I'm, talk, I'm speaking about? Right? Who knows? There was a time when you graduated, if you, if you, if you graduated from the universities here, you, you, like you graduate knowing science and math, you had to know the ulama of the city. You'd hear them in Jummah, you'd hear them in an MSA event. So just within this city of ours, there's this been massive change within the Muslim community on campus. And the amount of change the liberalism that has come in. No more knowledge events, all social events. Social events. And I never knew this happens. Because I've been out of the scene for now about six, eight, ten years now. When I see some of the pictures, and once in a great while, of what's happening in campus, under the banner of Muslim students, it shocks me. It's like, what's left? It's better we don't do it under the name of Muslim. Because at least you don't tarnish the Islam. At least we don't tarnish the image of Islam. Like ulama say, drinking liquor and wine is haram. But if you say, Bismillah and drink it, it's what? Huh? It's kufr. It's an act of disbelief. 
Because you are making fun of Allah. Ya Allah, I know this is something haram, but guess what? I'm going to take your name and drink it. That's kufr. Person who misses his prayer unintentionally or intentionally, major sin. Person, he says, Chalo, I'm going to pray without wuzu. An act of kufr. Unintentionally. He's like, I don't care. I'm going to just, what, what are you going to do? Ya Allah, pray without wudu. When is a person is trying to imitate the one who prays, he's so sick, he cannot do tayammum, he cannot do wudu, that's different. But a one who says, I don't care, I'll say bismillah and do haram, this is an act of kufr. So I think many of the Muslim events that are happening in our campuses should stop. Because they're under the banner of Islam, but there's nothing to do with Islam. Complete haram. So when that's the environment that's not your kid or your kid. All of our children, 100% of our, of our children are going to university and high school and college. Where's the fikr for the deen? That of these kids. My dear friends, wake up. Wake up yourself and wake up others. Please. It's not worth it for 200,000, for 300,000. Like he said, $10 for that beard. We're saying $100,000 for all my iman. Yalla, give me 100K and my iman's out. My son, I don't understand. One person told me, my son is no longer... He met me after Jummah in one area. My son, you know, you're talking about leaving Islam. My son, yeah, he left Islam. I said, oh, what happened? This is pre-COVID, two, three years before. He's, he, I told him to come for Jummah right now too. He says, no, I don't want to stand shoulder to shoulder. That's yucky. You know? He said, I'll just stay at home. You go pray. I said, when did this happen? He said, yeah, at home, undergrad, he was fine. When he went to medical school, far away from home, then I don't know what happened. Acha bhai, Assalamu alaikum. And I'm like, wait, wait, hold on, hold on. You just, just say salamu alaikum and walk away? Like, this is a real story. And I, I'm just trying to absorb the sadness. Like, I want to console you. I want to give you a hug. I want to give up some, give you some solutions. I want you to try to set up a meeting with him to bring him over here. Maybe we can meet for coffee and talk. And you're like, chalo, salamu alaikum. We just move on. It's so nonchalantly, huh? Bacha murtad ho chalo bhai. Move on. Kid has left Islam. Can't show up at medical school. Medical school to miliana. Got the degree. Got the degree. And at the cost of that, he left his Islam. I'm telling you, this is exactly what's happening outside. You know this better than I do. How many people have lost their deen at college and their parents really don't care because they're doing successful in their career? If that's a condition of the parents, what do you expect of the kids? And what do you expect of the grandkids? So our biggest problem right now is coming from within the Muslim community. That is why you need to build a cave of like-minded people who have similar principles and who have similar expectations from themselves. Similar desire to sacrifice. What do these five, six young men do? What did they say? I just told you what they said. They said, let's discuss why we all left. If it's the same, we stick together. And if it's not the same, we part ways, but we don't share what happened. So you can't just say, Chalo Ajao, everyone in one, one, uh, under one umbrella. What we have to see is we have to be with people who really have this concern that I'm sharing with you right now. That I don't care what happens, I cannot afford my children or myself or my spouse losing the deen. That's something I will never give up. And when you find people like that, then you hold on to that people, just like these men did. This is why we're studying this story, exactly for why I'm sharing what I'm sharing today. To learn from this story. This is how you save your deen. You gotta stand up and leave. And you gotta take shelter in a cave. Now this cave does not have to be a physical cave. Right? This could be a spiritual cave. And that's what the Qur'an speaks about. When you separated from them. The Mufassirun have wrote, اِعْتِزَال معنوي وَاعْتِزَال جسمي. That they separated from themselves physically, 
They separated themselves from the town physically and they separated themselves from the town through this soul and spirit in their mind. Figuratively speaking. So what we need to do is we need to separate ourselves from society, not physically necessarily. Go on tomorrow at work. Go on to a school, wherever you need to go. But at least our soul, heart and mind needs to be in a separate place. And there's no better place than the masjid. There's no better place than the zawiyah, the khanqah. There's no better place than the madrasa and the seminary. Wallahi, this is our lifeline. This is our lifeline. And understand that. Kids graduate from the his class here. I'll tell you. Then they're here eight, six hours, six days a week. Eight hours a day. When that, son gradu- when that boy graduates, and he doesn't come here for Isha or Fajr, after school, whose fault is that? It's the father's fault, the mother's fault. I tell this to the parents when they, on the graduation day. MashaAllah, thank you for the mitai. But make sure your son or daughter comes here at least once or twice a week. And if you live nearby, then for one salah at least. This hivz is not gonna save him, my friend. This hivz is not gonna save him. And those of you who are studying the one-year program, this one-year program is not gonna save you either if you don't stay connected. Heck, the seven-year won't save you. 15 year won't save you. Nothing saves you unless you remain connected with the people of ilm, the people of taqwa, and the environment of taqwa. And then on top of that, you have to have the fadl and the grace of Allah. So we all need to make this commitment today that we will regularly continue to take shelter in a cave of ilm, of spirituality, of ruhaniyyah, of tazkiyah, of da'wah. And that we will invite our family and friends. 